Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Casterbarus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a Doctor, but I am... I'm a doctor, but probably not the one who looks good. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will, where do you want to start? Hello everybody and welcome to the very first episode of Bigger on the Inside, the new Who, Doctor Who, Watch Along. My name is Tim and I am hopefully, as regularly as possible, going to be joined by my friend Harry Murdoch. Hi Harry. Hey, I'm Harry, as Tim said. <laughs> Fast play introduction. <laughs> That's amazing. That's all we need to know about each other is our names. A uh, quick brief overview of what's going on. It's currently um, the very. Uh, it's the eighth of August, and here in the UK we're still in lockdown. So me and Harry aren't really able to sort of get together and do the podcast properly. So the first episode is sort of a lockdown edition. I don't know if we we'll, we might actually carry on like this because yeah, we're I mean, both going to different universities. Yeah, when it comes to September, I am going to Birmingham to do an MA, and I know that Tim, you're come going into your second year at Hull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing film studies at Hull, so it might just this. And to be fair, I've seen other podcasts doing um, Zoom calls as a just a regular thing now, and I think I think it seems to be improving. Yeah, it seems like kind of like audio media is kind of the way to go when it comes to lockdown stuff. Like I know, like Big Finish um, has barely been like changed at all because of lockdown. Like people are recording in their sheds and stuff. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Like I think like <laughs> yeah, because I've seen like a oh oh no yeah I've seen I mean I think. Yeah, I think Paul McGann definitely uses his shed, has been using his shed, and I don't know. I think Tom Baker probably just has a very soundproof living room or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine Tom Baker leaves his house much. I imagine he just gets, I imagine like he, uh, a letter just falls through his um, door with a new big finished script. He's like, oh, yeah. here we go again. <laughs> he just walks, he just walks straight out of his shed from recording one and walks straight back in. <laughs> Bottom. Anyway, yeah, so the episode we're going to be going over is Series 1, Episode 1, which is Rose. It was the very first episode of New Who. Wait, 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 um, it's the first episode you, of the show you... ever. Um, my favourite <laughs> Doctor, the first Doctor, Christopher Eccleston. Man, man, Russell T. Davis, like the imagination to think of a show about a man in a blue box. I mean, I don't know where he thought of it, but it's like inspired. I've watched all... I, know, I think it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I'm not sure if it was based off the Funko Pops. No, actually, I think there's this really old movie with um, what's his face, the guy from Star Wars. Um, uh, uh, Go on, you've got to remember it now. Oh, we can't, no. we can't have dead air. Oh, everyone's going to know my favorite film because I can't remember Tarkin's name. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing yeah, yeah, there was a really old movie yeah. with Peter Cushing, and I think that's what Russell T Davis based the series off. Yeah. I should just say straight up, me and Harry are quite big Doctor Who fans, but we don't know absolutely everything. So I've not there will be moments any, I feel like that. Where w- I've not watched any classic Who other than a couple of episodes from a couple of like minutes from the uh, Five Doctors, which is quite funny at points. Yeah, I think I showed you that. I think because I bought that, and I was like, I've got to watch this, and I brought you over. I was like, you've got to watch it's this. The- <laughs> it's something. I else. mean, it's, it was unfair because the special effects have obviously dated, and admittedly. 
like even like the 2005 some of that cgi is quite funky but we'll get to that <laughs> oh yeah i've got i've i've got some notes on that later I on also so have do you want to what did you fi- <laughs> what did what did you think then because this is the first time i've watched rose in probably a couple of mm. years it's the first time i've properly watched it to sit down and watch it not just have it on in yeah. the background so what did you think of um it? re-watching it i was surprised at just how well done it was um like i don't mm. think there's kind of any nostalgia at play here i think that rusty davis was very smart in how he reintroduced the show to modern audiences. Um, a lot of decisions from the casting to the monsters to just the structure of the episode, I thought was very, very smart. I think you couldn't have be- opened the show like in a better way than Russell did with Rose. Yeah, because I saw I I watched. Um, do you remember Doctor Who Confidential, yeah. the sideshow that used to come on? After I wish it. I watched yeah. that. I really want to watch Confidential, but I just can't find it online anywhere because I'm watching it through iPlayer and my iPlayer hasn't saved oh, Confidential. Okay. Like, I don't. Oh, I saw. There's, I think most of them have seem to be on YouTube. If you go on YouTube, you find most of them there. Right. But I saw they were talking about the TV movie, and Sylvester McCoy said how he wished he wasn't in the TV movie because that instantly confuses mm. viewers who haven't seen the show before as to why this one guy suddenly changed into another. So when they redid it in 2005, I've got a quote here of Russell just saying it would have been madness <laughs> if they started with Paul McGann and changed him into Christopher Eccleston yeah. because 2005 kids didn't really know who Paul McGann was. And I think another advantage to doing that, introducing with a new Doctor with no explanation, is that it kind of, even for people who watched the old show, it kind of creates this added air of mystery to the Doctor. It was kind of lost by the end of Classic Q's run um, because, you know, with Classic Q they kind of revealed everything there is to reveal about the Doctor, but now by introducing that kind of this gap between McGann and Eccleston, there's kind of this big question of what exactly happened in this kind of period where we've not been following the Doctor? What's he been up to? What's he been doing? And kind of, you know, as this progresses, more and more of that is revealed. Because we do sort of find out what he's been doing later on when we meet Clive. Mm. Um, he has the he has all those photos of Christopher Eccleston's doctor in all these different. Um, he has him. At, is it the assassination of JFK just before the Titanic and even further back? But I was watching this, and um, I don't know maybe because it's the first time I've watched the show properly um, since I was a kid. But I swear at the start of that at the start of the episode, Christopher Eccleston's doctor looks in a mirror. And passes a comment about how he looks, as if it's the first time he's seen There's how he looks. And then later we establish. Uh, is there a good, what's the There's theory about, about that? Um, you know, at the very end of the episode where Eccleston, where the Ninth Doctor takes off, and then he reappears to say, "By the way, did I tell you it travels through time?" There's, mm-hmm. there's this very oh, right. he, okay. he then spent a hundred or so years traveling around to all of these different places. And kind of, oh, he right, spent okay. over 100 years kind of thinking what he could say to Rose to make her come with him. <laughs> and so, you know, after going to the Titanic and the JFK assassination and all that, he, he kind of finally decided to go back because he'd thought of what he could say to her. Okay, that'd be quite interesting because I always thought with the... I, I, I'd quite, I'd, I won't go into future episodes so much, but with the idea of Chris coming back for the 50th, I always thought, uh, what would his role have been? Because it seemed like 
he met Rose and then he died with Rose. So at what point would he have been able to be on his own? Because Billy Piper's an amazing actress and she was in the 50th, but she doesn't look 15 years younger than she does now. So, and she couldn't really pass herself off as a 19-year-old. So that would be quite interesting if Chris was in the 50th. You could have said, oh, <laughs> this is him between these two events. And I feel like if Chris was in the 50th, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been, if Chris was going to be in the 50th, he would have occupied the role that John Hurt would have occupied, wouldn't he? I imagine. Yeah. So I imagine if they, he had been in the 50th, they would have done it so that um, it was him before meeting Rose at all and him like, about yeah. to destroy Gallifrey. I mean, obviously, I think yeah. when Russell wrote this new series, in his mind, it was McGann's Doctor, the eighth Doctor that destroyed Gallifrey. Mm. Didn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I don't think I don't think I think the war. Well, we spoke about the other day how the war doctor was uh, an idea Stephen Moffat just threw around, and then people picked up on it, and he went, "Oh, okay, I guess I'm doing this." Now. I mean, I think like if we uh, if we keep this going long enough, we'll we'll get to a point where we can talk about our feelings about the war doctor, can't we? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> I really like the way this episode introduces Rose. Yeah. I think it, that that first like five minutes is just solidly Rose. There's nothing else there. It's just her. At a, we establish she's she's only got a mum. She's got a boyfriend. She works a standard job. Yeah. She isn't new at the job. She's worked there a while because people know her. She knows what she's doing. And I think it's just a really good way of introducing, reintroducing the show rather than just starting it straight away with the doctor. Yeah, and I like. That. I feel like maybe that's a ca- character that if you introduce the show with people to go, what the what the hell is yeah. going on here? But if you bring it through a, a, a companion who can ask the questions, mm. it makes it a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, I feel like I know there are lots of people who dislike Rose as a companion for various reasons, but I feel that in this episode specific, especially, I feel like that she really, really works. And um, see, like I feel like in my mind, especially with New Who, I kind of can group do- in group companions into those who idolize the doctor and those who can like hold him to account and i feel like rose is kind of more in that camp in that and that's the camp i prefer i prefer kind of and rose definitely does that like and you're kind of with her at it like there's a bit where she thinks mickey's dead and you know she's rightfully very annoyed at how dismissive the doctor is of him of that and then the fact that like he's just the doctor just keeps so much to himself and it doesn't reveal anything like when that's someone who you're putting your life into the hands of you'd rightfully get very frustrated with that so i mean i just gotta i feel like they did a good job at making rose such a you know kind of identifiable kind of surrogate for an audience kind of you completely get where she's at for most of that episode yeah I I agree what you say with Mickey, but then the only question I would ask is, if she really loved Mickey, why didn't she realise he looked completely different when she got back in his car when he was plastic Mickey? Yeah, that's kind of one of those things where you have to kind of step back and kind of go, all right, this is some kids' show logic. You know, it's the same thing as why no one realises Clark Kent is Superman with glasses on. It's one of those things where (laughs) I always... It is always in my mind, but then I always suspend my disbelief for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I really like Noel Clark though, who plays Mickey. I think he's a really good, underappreciated character. I definitely think that character develops more, especially in series two. Yeah, and but it's 
yeah. I, I, I really like the. Sorry, go on. And I mean, in in many ways, kind of he's a. I like because like although like you might not register it at first because everything is kind of shown from Rose's perspective in a lot of ways Mickey is kind of an even more grounded character than Rose like Rose seemingly mm-hmm. isn't all that phased by these um by plastic coming to life and walking around and like this burning pit of lava whereas Mickey is rightfully like super freaked out and I mean you know if I were in that situation I'd probably be acting more like Mickey than I would be acting like Rose. The fact that Rose can yeah, maintain yeah. such a level head, I mean, yeah. Yeah, there were certain things when I was watching it, and I think you do just have to suspend your disbelief. Because obviously you can suspend your disbelief for stuff like time travel and aliens. But then when it's a, I sometimes think maybe when it's a human character who you can relate to interacting with um, something that is obvious to the audience but not obvious to the character, that's maybe when you start to go, hang on a minute, what's going on here? But you're right, it was you know, if you watch any interview with Christopher Eccleston, he constantly refers to it as a children's yeah. show <laughs> it's quite funny because he's at conventions going, I just want to make good TV for kids, and like the audience is full of like 25 plus <laughs> nerds going, yeah, kids kind of show, yeah. Do you consider Doctor Who to be a kids show? Because it's not like on CBC, it's made by the regular drama department. It gets kind of a eight yeah. o'clock virtually primetime slot, a similar slot to something like, I was about to say Strictly, but then I realized that when the recently <laughs> Strictly has got better billing than Doctor Who, which is understandable. Yeah, yeah, it's got like that same sort of, in the UK anyway, it's got that same sort of time slot as what you'd expect from shows like um, Sherlock, Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Um, you know, these big BBC dramas. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think... Um, there was once... Sorry, go on. Yeah, and I think, I don't know what kind of budget Doctor Who has received in comparison, but I feel like when it first came back, its budget was probably on par with most of, like, you know, if not all of kind of the bigger BBC shows. And, you know, it makes sense. Like, it's an international oh, yeah, property, and I think obviously you always will have an international following. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, we talk about the budget, so that might be a good time to go into the CGI. I put it's pretty good CGI for 2005 TV, <laughs> but it's still pretty crap. Yeah, like the opening, <laughs> the opening shot of the um, the very saturated planets in space, uh, the CGI yes. of the the cartoon wheelie bin. <laughs> it. Oh uh, yes, yes. When Mickey's pulling his hands away from yeah. it, yeah, and I know it's like, like yeah. hurls him in, and it has just like cartoon birth. Yes, yes. Maybe that's the kids' aspect yeah. of it, but yeah, I know what you mean. I know I noticed the CGI a lot when um, the, it's one of the last scenes when the Doctor is talking to the living cons. Is it what's it, what is it? He's talking to the big lava yeah, I, pit I, I at the can't, end. I can't remember what planet it said. It's is it the living conscious or something like that? Whatever's in charge like, of the, the autons. Controlling the autons, yeah. Yeah, when he was talking to that, I w- and because you can see where they've mashed out Eccleston, mm-hmm. and you're like, and you could just, it's really clear CG. But then uh, maybe if we watch Doctor Who now, if I was to watch a Whitaker episode, I'd maybe notice the same thing because it's just yeah. TV and maybe it doesn't get the same money. And so you think, like, it's maybe always good for its era, but dates very quickly. And I think like we were watching it now, today, we were watching it, you know, on pretty good HD TVs. Um, like mm. in HD where kind of there's not much to hide if you were watching it 
back in 2005 when it aired with a CRT television, it was probably yeah. much less obvious those kind of flaws and kinks. And with the special effects, yeah, mind, I actually want to commend um, the decision to open with the Autons because honestly, I can't think of a better monster to have opened it with. First of all, it's a classic monster, but it's not like too, it's not like yeah. so iconic that it'll alienate new audiences. It's a monster that's yes. kind of it's kind of the same thing that Moffat very much um, took inspiration from of kind of this everyday thing made scary. You know, the similar mm. thing of a weeping angel of what if these plastic mannequins that you see every day came to life and you know tried to yeah. And also from a special effects perspective it's a very easy thing to get right. You know, um, it's very easy to create a living mannequin that comes to life and it looks, you know, genuinely creepy as still creepy today. Yeah. yeah. There's that scene where Rose goes to give the, um, the lottery mm. money at the very start of the episode and you just see an Auton just move its head. Mm. And that's all you see. And even when I was watching, I was going, oh man, that's real, that's creepy. Like I remember there were that- bits... I can't remember what it was. There was something I reacted to where it was kind of like a genuine reaction. I was like, where I kind of went, ooh, <laughs> I can't remember. I think okay, yeah. <laughs> it was the bit when um, the doctor fired the cork at, at Plastic Mickey's face. And yes. the whole thing of like, it going into him and him spitting it out. <laughs> like, it's comical, but it's a bit yeah. unnerving. Yeah. Yeah, it's even more unnerving because I watched it and I paused it as the cork entered his oh. head. And the CGI Neil Clark face of like the two eyes like bug eyed opposite ways mm. is just hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I picked up on that. I thought there was some really good creepy moments in it, but for like especially the idea of bringing back a yeah, like you say, a classic monster, you're sort of rewarding um older fans again, you've stuck with this, it's just, you know, well we're not forgetting about you. We're still going to have, you know, the yeah, history I mean, of the show, but it's still going to be for new audiences. Weren't the Autons first introduced in John Pertwee's first story? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were John Pertwee. I think they maybe only appeared once yeah. or twice after I that. I mean, that's kind of... But a... I think it's a bit like the Sea Devils, where they're, they're, they're really known, but when you actually look into how many episodes they've been in, they've maybe only been in less than five episodes. I think that also is a smart decision, because I'm pretty sure, like... I have a friend who's really into classic Q and he said that kind of one of the best first stories for a doctor, if not the best, is that Auton episode with poetry. So I guess for that to be recognized and to think, well, if it worked so well the first time, I'll do something similar this time. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, I've said it a lot of times, but it's just very, a very, very clever decision making. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you think of the, um, the non-copyright search engine they use, searchwise.net. <laughs> searchwise.net. <laughs> I, I've just, I find it bizarre that something like a search engine has to be, has like a copyright. Like you wouldn't think Google would have a problem with like using Google. But that being no. said, I don't know how big Google was back in 2005. Like when I was a five-year-old, I wasn't using the internet. So I don't know. Um, yeah. The, the, Going on from that, a fun thing you can do, which I found out um, just by having to scroll through Twitter, is the website that Clive actually has, you can actually visit. Yeah, I've been on it. I've been on it. It's really cool. There's lots of kind of little extra details and Easter eggs and references. Like, I know, yeah. like, there's a bunch of kind of blog entries from different people who've seen The Doctor, and I think, like, The Brigadier and Sarah Jane are amongst those. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think even because yeah, I've been on it before, but and I really like the way it's got a um, a 2005 sort of look. They haven't. I don't know if it was made when the show came out or if it's just been I made since. I think it was made for. It was an official website made for series one, and I think every week okay. it was updated. I think. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> they should one day someone should just post on it and just really confuse everybody. <laughs> I mean, if that was something that they've um, continued throughout New Hughes history, that would have been a really cool way to kind of sustain kind of on... I mean, I say it would be a cool way to sustain like an online fan base, but I think there's already a fan base a lot to do without a need for that. But, yeah. Yeah. What did you think to um, the photoshopping of 2005 where they photoshopped Christopher Eccleston into the JFK assassination yeah. where he's looking right at Why the camera. Why that look so off? Like you'd think he, uh, his head looks bigger than everybody else's head. And he's looking directly ahead like he's meant to be like at the like you know this historical events <laughs> but he's not watching. He's looking Yeah, he's just looking at someone taking a camera Yeah, photo. I don't know if it was just a bad photograph they used or a bad like edit. I I don't know why that looks so dodgy. Yeah. You wouldn't think that a photo edit would be beyond the capabilities of a BBC special effects team, but... Especially in 2005. Yeah. yeah. What was he doing at the assassination of JFK? I mean, Why did he go there? I mean, Just to watch it? I mean, maybe it's better that they didn't explain. You know, maybe that's a historical <laughs> event that aliens shouldn't be a part of. Uh, so why was the doctor there? I don't know. Then, 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 if aliens out there, the only reason the doctor was there was to see what happened. While he was thinking about good ways to pick up Rose and come back, he's like, oh, I know what I'll do to pass um, the time. I'll go and watch the assassination of JFK. Oh, I, honestly, I feel, I mean, I get what they were going for with the whole idea of wherever yeah. the doctor appears, like some kind of disaster follows. I don't know, maybe as a thing of like yes. some alien. Tr- tried to mess with a fixed point in time and he had to stop it mm. he had to make sure because that's the thing I mean I know it's not something that's often explained in the show and to be honest I feel like it should be explained more often the fact that um, there are fixed points in time where events have to go as planned um, yeah like I know that um, David Tennant explains it in one of his later episodes and obviously Father's Day in this series explains it really well. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I agree with you. There was when I was watching the show, I was just trying to watch it as someone who who likes Doctor Who and had gone fifteen years without watching Doctor Who, because Doctor Who's now been back longer than it yeah, was gone. Hit for. That milestone Is that right? A month ago, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking like when you hear like when you see the Doctor and Rose walk into the TARDIS at the start of the episode where he's been in her flat and he's walking back to the TARDIS. And then Rose tears and you hear the TARDIS noise, but you don't actually see it take off. That must have been so exciting for like Doctor Who fans after 15 years I mean, to be able to hear like the sound of... I really like the way that they kind of tease the TARDIS slowly throughout the episode. Like, first mm. of all, after the shot blows up and Rose runs home, there's like, it's on screen for a second. Like, in the darkness, it's kind of a blink if you miss it. Like, viewing it this time, this was the first time I noticed it. And then you see it in the background as Eccleston walks off, and then you, you hear it and don't see it go. And then there's kind of, you know, the final reveal of the inside, which is 
I, I mean, it's, I really, it's just very built up to in a really cool way. Um, what do agree, you yeah. think of the early TARDIS design uh, of this series? Because I know there's a lot of split um, feelings towards this version of the TARDIS. Do you mean the, do you mean the inside or the outside? Both, both the inside and the outside. Let's start with the outside. What? Well, the outside, I really like. I think it's my it's one of my favorite outsides because I feel the Smith one was too light, and I didn't really get the St. John's ambulance thing. I was like, oh, "Why is that?" Yeah, on there? I like. But I think it 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 looks more real world. The Tenant Eccleston one, it looks more real, yeah, especially it feels the outside. A bit more kind of the ins- yeah. It feels more kind of run down, like well worn. It feels like an aged thing, which yeah, yeah. considering I think how, it does like, change slightly with Tenant. Did it, did it? Oh yeah, it did change slightly with ten, didn't it? I think it gets slightly lighter in colour, but not a lot. Yeah. The inside, um, because series two was my first series, yeah. so the, that TARDIS is always like my favourite TARDIS. Um, I get why people might not like it. Personally, it's my favourite interior, just because it's of what it the, the connections to the show and me enjoying the show at that time. So it's almost like your favourite Doctor and your favourite yeah. TARDIS. You can't really have a favourite Doctor. But that said, I do think the um, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi TARDIS is probably the better looking, yeah. interior-wise. I'm a big fan of his TARDIS for Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. I feel like it's very, it's right, very okay. alien. It's very kind of... It feels very alien, very foreign, um, but still functional. I like how kind of one mix match of different everyday objects the kind of TARDIS console is. I like how I'd like how just kind of chaotic but it is whilst also everything seemingly serving a purpose. And I, I like how yeah. well worn lived in it is. And I feel like for oh, definitely, yeah. I feel like for a doctor as you know, often kind of oddballish and eccentric and with the kind of, you know, sometimes chaotic energy that Eccleston's Doctor has. I feel like it's a good fit. It's a good fit. I really like him. Yeah. When it comes to that combined of Tenant, I feel like Tenant's Doctor with that TARDIS doesn't quite work in the same way, but I feel like... Okay. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to Tenant. But I, feel... I feel like maybe they didn't change it because maybe audiences were just getting used to it yeah. and maybe if you change it after one series, people are going to be like, "Are you? What, what, what's all this?" Well, statement? by that point, they hadn't really established. It wasn't until Matt Smith's Doctor that they kind of probably established the idea that the TARDIS changed its re- regenerated itself as well. Like at this point, the TARDIS yeah. kind of was what it was. So I understand it, yeah. but I feel like the design was kind of built for kind of Eccleston, and I feel it works there. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much input Eccleston has on had on stuff like that. I know um, he had quite a lot of um, input on yeah. his costume. The only thing that he didn't have input in was Russell T. Davis said he wears a leather jacket. Right. I like that so, one, I, but I pardon. Sorry, do you what do you what do you think of the Eccleston costume? I like it. it suits Eccleston. I don't think you could put it in a, on another Doctor. No. Yeah. And... So it's definitely, it definitely. And I feel like for me, like the Eccleston Doctor, I'm going to say this, um, Asajj right away. Of the Doctors I've watched, he's my favorite. He's my favorite Doctor. And I I feel like 
like his performance, which I'll get to later. I feel like his costume kind of is what um, is kind of to me what a modern version of Doctor should be. Like it's a little, it's yeah. kind of both out of its time yet also timeless. Like yeah, I agree what you mean. Yeah. I believe is the jacket like an old kind of army or like jacket or something, or like. I'm not sure, but I know they went through different types of leather jackets because yeah. they even tried on um, a lot. I think they tried they tried on a long leather jacket that was quite like ten. You know, like when you see oh, ten, so um, sort of yeah. emo goths in big long trench leather coats, like a Matrix. One. I think they put him in one. Yeah, yeah, like the Matrix. Yeah, they put him in one like that, and apparently the the, the costume designer just tore it off him straight away. So you look an idiot. To pull that. No, yeah, I feel like. But you can't. I can't even see it. I can't see Eccleston in another costume. I mean, I've seen a thing where Russell D. Davis has always said that kind of the Doctor's costume always kind of reflects the era that like they were introduced in. Um, mm-hmm. And I yeah. feel like Eccleston's kind of go almost kind of transcends that because it's interesting because the show is obviously from two thousand five, and when you look at what everyone's wearing, obviously the clothes that say like Rose wears are very much of the era, you know. Yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. Big baggy jeans, yeah, these, very Avril Lavigne. Yeah, and all those kind of bold colours, very kind of early 2000 yeah, Britain. And then Eccleston, um, while of that world and of the world of 2005, seems a lot of place for today, he kind of seems the most kind of timeless. And I really yeah. like it. And I feel like what I like about the jacket is that it's very functional you know you know it's just kind of a thing that you can put on you can kind of wear a jacket in various types of weather um it's not kind of it's not kind of like suited for one specific situation and it's very versatile i don't think it i think it's maybe one of the only doctor who costumes that doesn't change that much i know there was only one series yeah I think it's maybe one of the only ones that doesn't change that much. I think he changes the t-shirt twice yeah. to a dark purple, and that's mm. about it. Yeah. And also, it does. I don't feel like it has. Like you look at Tennant's costume, and it's got the the converse. You look at Smith, and he's got the bow tie. You look at Capaldi, and he's got the the red lining. It doesn't seem to have a gimmick. Yeah. It's just a. It's just. It's straightforward. This yeah. is a. This is a guy, and this yeah, is what he's wearing. Yeah, it's a guy in a jacket and boots, and it's kind of very everyday, very yeah. unremarkable, but also, and maybe that's why people, some people, don't gravitate towards it because it's kind of understated and remarkable. But for me, if you're someone who yeah. kind of goes traveling around a lot, you probably wouldn't care that much. You get to a point where you wouldn't care too much about appearance, so you just kind of, you know, yes, wear you know whatever's like comfortable, whatever's the most versatile. So kind of thinking from a yeah. practical point of view, like if I was the type of person who traveled through time to lots of different locales, I'd probably be most likely... You mean you're there. not? I mean, I'm not yet. <laughs> Why have I got you on this? Zinni is I had you on here. I thought you were an actual time traveler. Uh, mm, you know, I kind of inflated some parts of my resume. <laughs> um, I mean, I've, I've been... What did to, you think to the... I've been to York. Sorry, go I've been on. to York. I went to York. Poland for a week. <laughs> so what do you think to the performances in the episode? What do you think to the acting 
from all, not just Eccleston, from okay. everybody. Well, I'll start with Eccleston. Um, and like I said, he's yeah. my favourite. Um, <laughs> I just, it's hard to place. Um, he's very, like, for someone who dresses in such a kind of, for some people, like, mundane way, he's very, he's got a lot of energy to him. Like, he's very kind of, like, he comes on and he's very jovial. He's very bright. He's very bubbly. He's got a lot of kind of whimsy, like messing around with cards, flicking through Heat Magazine and making... <laughs> that, that's one of my favourite parts where he's just in the background. It's almost like, um, you know, Creature Comforts, the Admin yeah. animation, where there's always something main going on in the... in like, As your like main purpose is like someone talking and in the background is just someone doing the most absolute ridiculous thing. I really got that vibe when he's like... But he's just flicking through the magazine and he goes, that won't last. He's gay and she's an alien. <laughs> no, yeah, I just, I, I just really warm to him. I'm just like, when he just throws on that big grin, like, I just want to grin with him. And for me, like, yeah. the perfect doctor, I feel is kind of the type of person who you would want to travel through time and space with. And he has such a sense yeah. of fun in this first episode. But I'm just like, yeah, he's totally yeah. with him. I just, he's just very mesmerizing to watch. And particularly, one of the things I really like about him is how he plays off Billy Piper as Rose. I feel like, mm. although Rose isn't my favorite companion, I don't think, um, I feel like her and Eccleston are my favorite Doctor compa- uh, companion combination. Kind of the chemistry they have is so. It's so natural, it's so warm, like they just play off each other yeah. so well. Um, and I feel like the dialogue. I think this is yeah. one of. Sorry, go on. I feel like the dialogue that Russell C. Davis has written between them is, you know, the exchanges are just so memorable and kind of just lovely. I just. Where the chemistry they have, I just. I mean, it. I just gravitate towards it. I could just watch them. Yeah. I'd love to see them work with each other again in something that wasn't Doctor Who. I mean, I'm not sure how likely it is to happen, but just, they're just... Oh, yeah. They just fit together so well. And you wouldn't think so, like, you know, yeah, a is, Brit pop star they've got and this of... northern actor. Yes. You wouldn't think... <laughs> they seem to have, like, a really good father-daughter relationship as well, where they just... They just seemed like they've known each other for ages. Like the chemistry on screen really is really noticeable straight away. Is that how you see it? Do you see it as a father-daughter relationship as opposed to a romantic one? Um, from this first episode I do, yeah. I mean Especially with especially with Eccleston, I sort of feel like he's looking I don't feel like he was looking for someone to travel with, but when he meets Rose, he wants to travel with Rose. Yeah. Not in a romantic sense, but because he senses something about her. Like when um, he, she's asking him about the autons and she says, oh, it must be students. And he says, oh, why is that? And then he makes her explain to him why why she, why she thinks it's students. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, it could actually be right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Like, when he initially meets her, he kind of just tells us, you know, go home, go have your pie and fish and chips. But then... I mean, maybe the thing that attracts Eccleston, like the Doctor to Rose so much, is that she keeps going after him. Like the Doctor kind of naturally, yeah. I think his natural instinct is to keep people safe. And a part of keeping people safe is making sure that they don't hang around him. 
So he kind of always tells people, you know, yes. run for your life, go home. And perhaps the fact that <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. so willing to like stay with him and travel with him. Because there are a lot of points where she could have just said, you know, I'm going home, but she doesn't. She just, she stays yeah. with him. She tracks him down. She's persistent. Yeah, definitely, in, yeah. Yeah. And perhaps... I know when they were making it... Sorry. No, yeah, I was done. Okay, I know when they were making the show, they were quite keen on not having the Doctor as the person who grabs Rose's hand and pulls her along. Because when that. they were That's filming the, the sequence... Where... The person he does is grab her hand and say... <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, he's not like, okay, this is what we're doing now. We're coming here. We're doing this. He only does that because she doesn't know that the building's about to explode. But the sequence where they're running over the bridge outside Big Ben and the two London buses run past, they were quite, if you watch, they both grab each other's mm. hand. It's not one of them grabbing the other one. They both hold hands. So it's almost like, you know, there's that real bond between them that just sort of. And there are all points that kind of intercepts it. Like, you know, Rose is that whole thing when they're uh, under, under the, the uh, eye of London Eye, and like she, she's the one who has to go and do that thing swing from the chain. Like, she's the one who at the end, saving the day, relies upon. They kind of. Yeah. Although she's kind of a companion, there is a. It evens out a lot more than of some of the later dynamics do. They definitely. There's yeah, I agree. Mutual respect between them. Like the doctor wants. I would just. Hmm? The doctor wants Rose to travel no, with him just as much as she wants to travel. Wants to travel with him. It's yeah, I like that. Yeah, I wonder if the because when she swings on that rope on that chain, she mentions that she's uh, she's got like a degree or a certificate or whatever in gymnastics. Oh, she she was in the I gymnastics from that... team at school. Like she's not even done A levels. Yeah, I, when she said the rest of the yeah, classic I, Mickey, she says she's not even done A levels. Like she's considering going back to school to do A levels. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if that gymnastics thing was going to play into later episodes because it seems like such a random thing to mention that she hasn't done anything with her life, but she was quite good at gymnastics. I wonder if it was maybe something they plotted and thought, and oh, maybe we could use this, and then they sort of thought oh, it's a bit too, maybe like Lara Croft. It's a bit too adventurous rather than just a, a, a 19-year-old from London. Maybe it's just a justification for how she can keep her breath running through so many corridors. <laughs> yeah, that, he's actually, the doctor's always watching his companions. He just goes and hangs out at gym classes and he just watches people. He's like, well, you're quite, you've got a good physical fitness. I'll pick you next. <laughs> Imagine, it must be an exhausting job working on Doctor Who. Like, as a companion or as a doctor, there is so much running. Well, I, sw- I watched the thing with Peter Capaldi where he talks about um, his meeting with Matt Smith, where he met Matt Smith before. Uh, yeah. the, um, like, I think I think the BBC had signed Capaldi on. I'm not sure if it had been confirmed at this point, but I know the two of them had met each other to talk about Doctor Who. And Capaldi was at this restaurant or cafe and Matt Smith walked in on crutches and Capaldi said, oh, what's happened to you? And he went, Doctor Who. (laughs) Doctor Who's done this to me. Two weeks into filming, Peter Capaldi got the same injury from running. (laughs) He got the exact same, like, knee injury that Matt Smith got. (laughs) See, that's why you can't go around in Converse or smart shoes. You've got to wear boots like Eccleston did. (laughs) (laughs) You You don't pull your knee out if you do that. Yeah, so I really liked the episode. I thought it was a really good, especially for an opener to a show that already at this point had like a 40, no, it, yeah, it, 
2005, 2003 would have been the 40th, a 40 plus year heritage. It's done, it did a really good job, I think. uh, You know, I I feel like if I was a kid, I mean, I was a kid, but I wasn't watching the show. But if I'd seen it at the age of five, I feel like I don't, I feel like I probably wouldn't have understood everything that was going on because I. I rem- I just simply remember not understanding the plots of most of the episodes uh, uh, beyond there's a monster who the doctor has to stop. Um, yeah. But I feel like it, I would have been intrigued enough by the ideas um, presented and how they were presented to want to watch the next week. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and and I won't mention what my first episode was. I think no. I don't know what yours was either. But we can when they get mentioned. When we get to that episode, we'll mention it. We can talk about that. But yeah, I think it was a really good episode. I didn't like this. wasn't my first episode, no. but no, I really enjoyed it. And I've seen it. I think I watched all series two of Tenants, and then I was told, "Oh, you do know there was <laughs> nine other people before David Tennant." And I was like, "You what? <laughs> what are you on about?" Yeah. I remember being bought the box set of series one and watching it and being like, who the heck's this guy? Who's this guy? I don't understand. I remember before watching Doctor Who for the first time, I remember my parents explained to me, I think it was in a car or something, but I remember them explaining what the show was and how like he's called Doctor Who yeah. because no one knows who he is and because he keeps changing yeah. different people. Um, yeah. What I did notice on the credits, if you watch the credits, Christopher Eccleston is credited as playing Yeah, it's like that throughout the whole series. The Doctor, if I you think... go to because, is yeah, it? if you go to the IMDB, um you see like Matt Smith and Taylor Tennant um are like credited, credited as the Doctor. I mean you go to Peter Capaldi, and keep Peter Capaldi is really low down because there's loads of actors and companions who've been in more episodes than him. Like when you find him eventually, <laughs> he's credited as Doctor Who. Oh, so it goes back to Capaldi, does it? it turns no, back not to Doctor Capaldi, Capaldi. I meant Capaldi. Sorry, I was thinking. Oh, you're gonna, you're not a fan, are you? You don't know what you're on about. Uh, sorry, there's like <laughs> they're all they're gonna... all like skinny white dudes. Okay, it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. So, did you have any other thoughts that we haven't touched on yet about oh, the episode? I'd like to talk about the music by Murray Gold. Oh yeah, go on. I did want to talk about that. I didn't know how to include I, it. But go for I it. really like the way he scores things. Because um, his scoring mm. and isn't just like, you know, it's not just trying to be a film score. It isn't just trying to be orchestral and bombastic. It's got a real alien quality to it in kind of the instruments and the synths and stuff that he chooses. It does feel a bit yeah. alien. And especially the Ninth Doctor's theme is really good, you know. The, you know, the yeah. ooh, ooh, I, I'm not doing it justice. Um, <laughs> I did wonder. I saw a look in your eyes. You just as you went, you know, it goes, and I saw you go. Ah, oh, crap! I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to sing a tune. <laughs> I'm going to drama school in September. They'll teach me to sing. So maybe over the course of this podcast, you'll hear me go from a terrible singer to a half decent singer. Who knows? Every week, yeah, to do the Doctor theme. Yeah, is this uh, talking of the actual theme? Is this your favorite Doctor Who? As theme? in of like the TV show intro or the theme? Yeah, like the main. Um. Yeah, they're like the main shows. It's theme. It, when I imagine the theme in my mind because this is the version I grew up with. This is the one I picture. 
Um, of course, there's the fact that yeah. there's no middle eighth and, you know, the middle eighth kind of makes it. <laughs> Do you know what the middle eighth is? <laughs> I have no idea what the middle eighth is. Uh, the middle eighth is the bit of the intro that goes, dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 oh yeah, da. there is an is yeah. there? That's Sometimes true. It's in the credits. It's never usually in the intro bit. Um, but yeah. for other people, the middle eighth is the best part of the theme. And yeah, it kind of is the best part. It's the most kind of triumphant part. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like if you play the closing credits long enough, like if you actually download that and listen to the full music, the bit after where the credits end is the best bit. Yeah, I think when it got to, I think, either the series three or four, they started using the middle eighth in the credits. But for now, it's yeah. just the regular. And yeah, yeah. this version, I do like this version. It's kind of the same thing as most of Murray Gold's scoring. It kind of does have, it has a bit of a kind of, it's got a very alien sound to it. It's not just like orchestral. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, in. And the theme, of course, like, I don't know who the original composer is, but it is kind of instantly iconic in so many ways. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they didn't include that middle-eighth bit, because if you ask someone to sing the Doctor Who theme tune, all people really tend to know is, ooh, that's all yeah. people know. So maybe they were like, oh, yeah. we'll just keep uh, that bit because it's like the iconic thing. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. when I was a kid, I think, I don't know if maybe I misheard it wrong. I think I just assumed that there were lyrics and the lyrics were, Doctor Who. Yeah, I probably did. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I probably did think that. Yeah. yeah, and I love one thing I really like about this version of the theme is that it kind of that um, what's the noise? You know, the before the song actually starts, the you know the I don't, I can't do it. Uh yeah, like it sounds like a warper sound effect, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really neat, and I really like that time vortex as well. The actual graphic that goes yeah. with it. That's I think. I think maybe quite you might find through Tennant and Eccleston area, I'll probably say, oh, this is my favourite, just because it's what I grew up on. But that, I mean, I, I feel, feel like, like I have the same bias, probably... yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like but no, I'm, this version of the intro and the intro theme is so ingrained in my childhood that mm-hmm. I can't critique it either way. All I know is, oh, no, me, definitely, yeah. that's what Doctor Who looks and sounds like in my head. With that being said, the Did... logo is not very good. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I sort of agree. Kind I think of... maybe my favourite logo... I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't look right. It's just kind of very... There's kind of too much going on, or not enough going on. Like, the font yeah. doesn't really have any impact to it, and it's kind of in this weird kind of like an eye, but not really. I don't really know what it's... Yeah, it is a bit, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe one of my favourite logos is the one they used around the 50th. Mm. One with the and I think they took Tardis, it from a TV movie. The TARDIS in the middle, that one. I know, I think that it was the one that they used in the TV movie where it just says Doctor and in big letters underneath it says Who. Oh, the, the one and then they used it the for the branding of the 50th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is a good one. And then they seem to bring it back for the 50th. But no, yeah, I know what you mean. I didn't really like the DW one. I didn't like it that much. I, we'll save that. We'll, we'll save, save that, that, that one. For, we'll save that one. We'll, We'll save it for like four seasons. So, is there anything else, Harry, that we haven't touched on? Um, can't think of anything. Um, well written, well casted, well acted. Um, most of the special effects hold up pretty good. Um, great yeah. reintroduction of the show. 
um, well done, Russell T. Davis. You're one of the best writers in British television. <laughs> Definitely. So I think we'll bring this one to an end. And then after this, we're going to... Are you still okay to instantly record the next episode? Absolutely, yeah. Cool. So we're going to record the next episode. I don't know when that'll be up. I don't even know when this is up. Yeah. But um, yeah, the next episode, we're going to talk about episode two, Harry, which is called the what? End of the World. Well, I'm glad you remembered that. <laughs> you still remember? <laughs> I, remember. I start... No, I thought I thought it was like, is it the end of the world? Is it like the end of? I knew it was the end of something, but you know, you like I started the sentence and I lost all faith. In what I'm so glad, was. and you know what? I feel like the amount of confidence I said that with made up for my Capaldi mishap earlier. Hopefully, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. don't don't write letters. We don't want to read them. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, and we'll um, yeah listen to episode two whenever that's out. Cool. Bye. Bye bye. Once again, I'm right, and on the rare occasion that I'm wrong, you'd usually find out that that bit was a lie, and that I was right in the first place.